Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. So I've got Dave Asprey, author of The Bulletproof Diet and the most recent published book, The Bulletproof Cookbook. Dave, how's it going? It's going really well. And we're in the studio live, which is amazing. I know. Last year we did a podcast mm-hmm. at, right around The Bulletproof Diet was coming out. And we did the podcast just on Skype. Now this is the first time we're meeting in person. But so much has happened for you and The Bulletproof Company. Like I feel like it's exploded. And everywhere I go, I see people talking about Bulletproof or drinking Bulletproof coffee or at least... It's not even the Bulletproof brand, but now you've, you know, it's kind of um, infiltrated the vocabulary, like that type of coffee where you throw in coconut oil and butter, people are calling Bulletproof, whether they're buying it from you or not. Yeah. So I don't know if you like that or not, but it's a good thing. It's like scotch tape represents all tape instead of just, you know, the tape made by Triple M. It's one of those things where butter coffee has, has become really good because I have a whole team of people whose job it is to go, guys, you can't call that Bulletproof. It's a, a globally registered trademark because Bulletproof coffee has like three things in it. And my goal when I started talking about this is that if anyone puts butter instead of milk in any coffee, it was a substantial upgrade. Like there's reasons to do that. But that doesn't make it Bulletproof. There's still other things you can do. One is the brain octane oil, which raises ketones in a way that butter and coconut oil simply can't. We've got a study coming out about that. And then there's another thing, which is the beans. Like a lot of beans have things in them that accumulate in the brain, these neurotoxins that come from mold. And so Bulletproof Coffee is like a certain kind of bean that doesn't cause the jittering anxiety and a new source of fuel that your body doesn't get. But just butter and any coffee, when you do that, it lets you absorb the antioxidants in the coffee. When you put milk in there, they stick to the antioxidants and you don't get it. I did not know that. So yeah. I was – okay, so let me just tell you my story, which I told okay. you the last time, but I'll elaborate. So I tried the Bulletproof concept, right, which is um, before I – ordered direct I then I started ordering directly from mm-hmm. you the bulletproof coffee but I tried the um uh, maybe it was even after I ordered because I remember I had the coconut oil and the MCT8 uh oil that you sell but uh so I put in the coconut oil put in the butter and this was on a weekend where um some editors of one of my books had given me like a whole like 20 pages of notes and I thought they, I thought they <laughs> thought they were getting away with it because they they weren't going to hear from me for another six months. Right. And then I literally wrote sixty thousand words that weekend. <laughs> I, I'm drinking your, I was just like chugging your coffee, and uh, uh, I threw out forty thousand words. I mean, I essentially wrote an entire book like over the weekend. Yeah. You, you know, I don't know what it did like to kind of. I was like, it was like, I don't know how you describe it. I was like hyperactive on writing that weekend with the coffee. Now, that was the best experience I've ever had with coffee, maybe because it was my first exposure to it. But in general, it's been good. One thing I will say, though, is sometimes the butter makes me feel a little unpleasant in the stomach. 
because uh, uh, it's a little heavy for me somehow. So, but I see the health benefits. So, what do you say to that reaction to it? Well, you can always use less butter. And That's true. <laughs> one of the biggest quote criticisms comes from like the calorie counting like 1970s nutritionists. Which, which I don't do. I don't, I don't weigh myself. I don't <laughs> yeah. count calories ever. So and They'll be like, well, there's 400 calories in a cup of Bulletproof coffee. I'm like, that's funny. If you're a 90-pound person, you might use less butter because you need less energy. And if you're a 250-pound like CrossFitter, you might put in like 600 or 900 calories. You can dial it up or down. But the important point is how the calories are metabolized. And that's why butter is part of it, which is like longer term. And the short-term spike in ketones, that's why you're writing so much. What, what does the spike in ketones mean? Well, ketones are these things that your body can use instead of sugar. And parts of your brain prefer ketones even over blood sugar. We used to think, oh, blood sugar is the only thing that can run your body. Then we found out, oh, when you're fasting for several days or you're on, like, the Atkins diet, you can go into this mode called ketosis and burn only fat. And so we're wired to only burn fat or only burn sugar. Bulletproof coffee is a cheat. Because you can have had carbohydrates, you can still have blood sugar, but when you take that brain octane oil, in fact, you can pour it on your salad if you want, but I prefer it in my coffee. You take the brain octane oil, and it will metabolize in a way that normal fats don't, and it'll turn into these ketones. So what happened to you was your brain was running on sugar, you drank bulletproof coffee for the first time, your ketone levels went up, and all of a sudden you had ketones available for fuel and sugar at the same time, and your brain was like hot damn, this is what I've been wanting to do. Like, I'm ready, and I have all this capacity, and now I've got enough energy coming in from two pathways instead of one. And this is why, like, I can have a pound of sushi at night full of rice, which would take me out of this fat-burning mode. And the next morning, I can drink a Bulletproof coffee with an ample amount of brain octane in it, and then I can... And butter. And butter, yeah. And I can then measure my ketone levels with a blood stick, like a medical monitoring device. And funny, I have enough ketones to suppress hunger and enough ketones for my brain to work. This morning when I woke up in the middle of the night in New York (laughs) and I made my Bulletproof coffee, I did that because I wanted my brain to be on for your show. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm glad for the the coffee. So, so... You know, it may, it literally made me feel like a Superman, which leads me to the Bulletproof Cookbook, which just came out. Superman wrote the intro to your book, like Brandon Routh, who played Superman in Superman Returns. By the way, I loved that movie. A lot of people didn't like the movie, but I thought he did a great job at it. And I thought it was a great reinterpretation of the Superman myth. Um, But anyway... How did that happen? Like it's like he was almost like, oh, I I talk better at parties, I think better, I lost twenty pounds, I got in great shape, I'm now playing a new role. Like he attributes his whole life to bulletproofing it. So what? How did you meet him? Like what happened there? Well, Brandon came across my book, and there's a lot of Hollywood uh, celebrities who are like, you know what? Like my life kind of sucks. Like I have lots of money, but <laughs> I work really long days with really uh, tough food situations under bright lights, and my brain has to work all the time. So I have to look good. I have to be able to think really well. Yeah, he even refers to like, and you know, he's obviously in shape. He even refers to like he needed to get ready for some like shirtless shots and yeah. bulletproof help with that. Like, what does he have to actually worry about? <laughs> Well, it turns out the vast majority of muffin top is inflammation, not actually fat. So you can have people who are just fat, but they always have muffin top. And there's people like, today I look good, tomorrow I don't look so good. That's a different phenomenon, and that's one that you manage with a Bulletproof diet. So what all celebrities have to worry about, especially in like the last few years, there's this extremely like dehydrated 
uh, almost, I would say, starved but muscular look that you're going for in the shirtless scenes. So they're doing crazy stuff for several days before where they're they're doing almost like you do for like a wrestling weigh-in in order to look super ripped and shredded for these scenes. And then they're like, oh, thank God. And then they just go and eat whatever, <laughs> whatever they can when they're done with the scene. So they also want to be healthy and feel good. And what happened with Brandon is he found the Bulletproof Diet and it did address those energy concerns that happen. You know, if, if you're just dealing with, with life, you're dealing with this really rough uh, filming schedule that happens. And like, all right, what, what am I going to do when I, I feel like a zombie and I have to remember my lines? And in TV, they're shooting so much, you can't do like 10 takes because then you won't be invited back. You have to just like nail it over and over and over. In movies, they can shoot it 10 times. It's kind of expensive, but it's a mm -hmm. different scenario. So this incredible level of demand mentally as well as looking amazing and moving just right, I would fail at that probably. So Brendan, as he writes, had extra weight and it wasn't coming off using the all exercise more kind of thing, which also is what happened to me. So he found that it really worked, and he reached out to a mutual friend, J.J. Virgin, uh, who actually wrote the foreword for Bulletproof, uh, for the first Bulletproof Diet book. And she's like, oh, you guys should talk. And, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to meet Superman. This is the coolest thing ever. And he's like, I'm going to meet Dave. So we sat down, and we actually got to be friends. And he wrote the, the foreword for Bulletproof the Cookbook because it affected his brain. And, and that's what the most... The most comments I get from people, um, people who, like, cry during book signings, They're like, Dave, it's not that I lost whatever 50 pounds or 70 pounds or something. It's that I got my brain back and I have my willpower back. And that's why I did it for myself. Like, I did this for my brain. I, I would happily weigh 20 more pounds than I weigh now if I got better brain function, if I could pay attention better, if I had more energy, if I felt better. But it turns out when you eat to get enough energy into the body, so that starvation response, and I don't mean, like, lack of calorie starvation. I mean not enough energy right now for you to think if you can solve that problem, your body will be like, oh, I guess I don't have to store fat all the time. And you just sort of effortlessly lose the weight without willpower, without trying. And that's what it's really all about. So how did this happen kind of from an evolutionary perspective? Like why are we naturally wired to not be in this state of ketosis that, you know, you kind of suggest we get into and, and you know, we, we burn all the wrong things at the wrong times? Like why, why are we all messed up to begin with? No, we are absolutely biologically wired to go into ketosis. It is a survival state that we've had for probably as long as we've been animals. All you have to do but is... It's a, but it's a state of shock, though. You're shocking the body. Mm -hmm. No. If you've ever gone on a multi-day fast, it's not shocking at all. Mm -hmm. It's just not enough food right now for you to keep burning sugar. So the body says, oh, there's no sugar. Let me go into ketosis and let me start burning my own reserves of fat. And you can do this with fasting today. You go on a four-day or even a longer water fast. There are some dangers to doing that, especially if you are getting your electrolytes off and things like that. So, And you can actually lose weight that way, but it's relatively uncomfortable. Most of us have not trained the voice in our head to shut the hell up. And so this is also a core part of, of the Bulletproof Diet. The first book was describing the three big sources of what happens in your head. I, I call it your inner Labrador. And think of a big floppy black dog does all the things dogs do. And one of the things that walks down the street, it's like, oh, look, a gutter taco. I think I'll eat it. And, and it doesn't matter that, like, God knows what it is and the dog's going to throw up in an hour because it was wired to eat. We're wired to eat so we don't die. It's a species survival thing. It doesn't matter, like, oh, energy. Like, put that in your mouth. Yeah, just do that. So you have these constant urges. You put a plate of cookies in front of you. There will be a voice in your head that says, eat the cookie. And you say, no. 
eat the cookie. No, eat the cookie. No. And eventually you say, I'll just have half. And then you're like, I'm a, I'm a failure. I'm a bad person. I couldn't withstand this. Sorry. Every time you have an urge and you answer the urge, you're using your willpower. You're using your decision-making. So what happens in ketosis? The voice shuts up. And this is one of the reasons you get more willpower on the Bulletproof Diet. It's because one of the three big urges that happen that interrupt you all the time stops interrupting you. And then you have more capacity to make better decisions somewhere else in your life. And they could be lame decisions or really big decisions. It doesn't matter. At least you're not thinking about food all the time. So how fast does it take to get into this state of ketosis? Let's say I'm, I'm going Bulletproof. I start on the coffee. I use the other techniques in the, the Bulletproof cookbook mm-hmm. and the Bulletproof diet. How long before I'm in this state where I'm, like, functioning on all levels? Well, this is – it's a big question. Assuming that we're not talking about removing the the suspect foods that are affecting your inflammation, and we're just talking about having these extra sources of energy. Let's say I, let's say I am removing them. Let's say I'm okay. just following the bulletproof diet and and, the, and you cooking the recipes in the bulletproof oh, cookbook. It, it takes about well about a week. People can lose substantial amounts of weight and they feel amazing. And oftentimes, though, on the very first day, the first time they try bulletproof coffee. They have the experience you did. We're like, what is my brain doing? I didn't know it could do this. Mm. That comes from getting enough energy into the brain, maximizing your ability to use energy. And then you start removing things that you do every day that are slowing you down that you don't know about. And it turns out everyone has some foods that probably aren't as good for them as others. Uh, For me, if I eat like red peppers, the next day I'm going to have like knots all along my spine. It, like really? it's, it's a nightshade vegetable, and I'm genetically sensitive to them. I didn't know that. I used to eat them all the time because I like them. But I, I feel like, honestly, I feel like you're a strange guy. Oh, I am. And yeah. Like, like you're the reason you've kind of zoned in on coffee was, you know, and you've written about this and you've talked about this many times. But you were afraid of all these microtoxins that are in coffee that come from the mold in house. And I had never heard or read mm-hmm. about this before. But there's, you know, a lot of coffee you were describing is really bad for you. And which is why you decided to make your own coffee and kind of hack your own coffee to avoid these toxins. And I noticed even when you came into this room, we're in a podcast studio, you were like very sensitive to the lights. Like, is that mm-hmm. incandescent? Is that fluorescent? Like you were sensitive to everything. So do you find you're like oversensitive to all these stimuli? Like, have you had that since you were a kid? I used to have all the symptoms of Asperger's syndrome, and I I was never formally diagnosed because I'd hacked myself by changing the environment around me. But I grew up in a basement that had large amounts of toxic mold. So I had. Why did you grow up in a basement? Were you like locked away there? Yeah, you know they had bars on the windows. No, it it was a a fully finished, like a nice house, but it was just a two-level house, Mm -hmm. and there'd been a water leak. So as a kid, I would have these like nosebleeds, like like five, ten times a day sometimes. Oh, my gosh. And it was really annoying. It's kind of rough on a day, right? And I was obese. Inflammation was triggered by these things. And it causes all sorts of weird havoc in the body. But we just thought, okay, you know, it's, it's asthma. You have that when you're a kid. Rashes, you have that when you're a kid. Like frequent bruising. Uh, we don't really know why, but whatever. And like all these weird symptoms, including a lot of joint pain. It, that was just a constant thing. I didn't even know you were supposed to be able to walk without it hurting until I was in, like, my, my early 20s. I'm like, wow, check this out. I walked a whole mile without, like, massive pain. I played soccer for years. I just assumed pain came with life. And what what that did is, yeah, I, I do have autoimmune stuff where my immune system was trained by the environment around me to, like, try and eat itself. So, yeah, it sucks. I, I, don't, I didn't start out with a strong biological template, but what that's given me is an awareness where I can be like, okay, this happens. And the reason I was asking about lights is – I was noticing just when people are switching over to fluorescence and LEDs, 
what that does. I posted about this last night on Facebook. There's like 1,200 likes on it today. Talking about what LED lights and fluorescent lights do to the membranes in your eyes, specifically the cell membranes. And I'm predicting that we're going to see a huge wave of macular degeneration because of the spectral differences in light. Now, that's a 20-plus year kind of problem. Now, I've done the research. I can actually feel the difference in my eyes because, I don't know, my brain processes light differently than yours. And I've talked to world experts on that. In fact, Helen Erland will tell you that 48% of people have brains that process light differently than other people. So I'm trained in her method, and I've brought people through the Bulletproof Labs, and I give them a 5- to 10-minute assessment, and they're like, this just changed my life. I didn't know why I got tired after I read for 15 minutes. I just thought that's what you were supposed to do. So so why do people, like let's say I tend to read on an iPad, a Kindle app on an mm-hmm. iPad. Am I screwing up my whole life? <laughs> Probably not, but if you were to take it and make it so that it has a black background on the iPad instead of white, you really are going to probably have better eyes for longer. And you should put a Zentech screen protector, uh, like plug alert, I make the Zentech <laughs> a screen okay. protector. But what it does is it blocks the very narrow spectrum of blue light that causes the most suppression of your melatonin, your sleep hormones. So if you're reading on this thing before bed, it's sending a signal to your body that says, hey, it's daytime, wake up, stop making this really important hormone. When you have high melatonin, you have lower cancer. When you have low melatonin, you have higher cancer. And there's all sorts of other things that happen with gaining weight, dysregulation of blood sugar that come from reading on so I am, you're being nice, but I am screwing up my life by reading on the iPad. You bulletproof everything. So you have stuff for bulletproofing sleep, and you just mentioned sleep. So you have this mat that you... Oh, yeah, I so, love that thing. So describe that, because I've, I've bought it and I've used it. It's a little, it's it's definitely a different experience than sleeping on a bed. You know, just sure. going to sleep on a bed. So describe that. It's called the sleep induction mat, and it's on bulletproof.com. And what you do is you unroll this thing, and it's got some, like, extra long spikes on it. They're not that long, a few millimeters, and hundreds and hundreds of them. I don't remember the exact number. And then what you do is is you lay down uh, without a shirt on, on your back or maybe on your stomach if you're courageous, and your body, that same voice in your head that's trying to keep you alive, says, danger. There's something puncturing your skin in thousands of places. You're going to die. And you feel profound discomfort. And then you tell yourself, shut up, mind. And then you have this inner struggle for usually seconds to a minute. And the inner struggle is the body saying, no, no, no. And you're saying, oh, for God's sake, I'm just going to lay on this because I know I can take it. And eventually, just like a, a puppy, if you ever held a puppy that struggles and you keep holding it, it just melts. Your body will do the same thing. And when it stops struggling, a huge wave of endorphins comes. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, then you're like, oh, I'm going to go into like this, the most like, like kind of relaxed, kind of melty feeling. And then you're done. And it usually takes like maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes, people lay on the thing. And it's activating acupuncture points. But you feel really different. And you go into this just deep, just kind of melted is the best word for it, kind of sleep. So I really like the thing. Um, Brandon mentions he travels with his a lot, like when he's going to be on the set for a while. I usually don't travel with it because it's a little bigger than I like. I, I never check bags unless I'm traveling with little kids. So uh, I do, though, have one right next to my bed. And I use it quite a lot just because it it's an added benefit. You get deeper sleep and less time. And I actually notice the things around me because I'm lazy. Like if I can set the environment up so that it automatically supports my biology even better, like that is a serious upgrade. If I build an environment around me because I didn't pay attention or just because I didn't know, then I can make a world that makes me either stronger or weaker. So I build the environment around me when possible 
to support me and to address my individual weaknesses. And I probably have a lot more weaknesses than you do, uh, just based on. I don't know about that. <laughs> so, so, uh, what other other than like Brandon Rath? I'm sure you now like in the past year, so much has happened. Like you raised money for the business. You've you've you. I constantly get these great emails from you explaining both the science and the products and and everything. So so what's been going on with the bulletproof business? You know, I decided when I quit my job in high tech. I was a VP at a big internet security company, and I said. If I'm going to do this thing that was a nonprofit passion for 10 years and I'm going to, to really help a lot of people, it's going to take a big microphone for this. So I've been consciously building the ability to reach out to literally millions of people. Uh, we have about, I want to say 22, 23 million podcast downloads now. Wow. That's we, huge. It, it's huge, but it also means that if I'm wasting people's time, that I've murdered 50 people. Like there's 50 lifetimes. I'm guessing it's like 50. I haven't done the math that well. It's a good way to look at it. Uh, but, it but it's many lifetimes. <laughs> I've murdered quite a few people myself. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what that means is like I feel a, a really strong obligation to like find the most important stuff. Mm. And I have this list in my head of things that people don't know about that are seriously affecting society. And lighting is one of the things I'm looking at right now because I know what it's doing. I, I've seen all the, the studies on it. People don't know that LED lights are five times as suppressing of melatonin versus incandescent lights. So there's a really strong argument that says spend a little bit more on your electric bill, but, but don't mess up your biology because you're saving a few bucks on lights. So let me let me ask you a totally naive question. What's a light bulb? What's a light bulb? Yeah, like like what kind of light is that? Uh, well, a normal light bulb, like an incandescent light, is the ones we've had for 100 years that light up a filament inside them. But when you put LED lights that screw into that same socket, or even the LED lights that you look at on your phone if they're backed by an LED, what happens is it changes your biology. It's a very strong environmental signal, but we don't regulate them like drugs, but light is a drug at the end of the day. You can have lights that blink really rapidly, which is what happens with LEDs and that have weird spectrums that our bodies aren't used to. Or you can have lights that are similar to fire in the sun, which is what an incandescent light is. So that's one of those things. I'm looking at that problem. I'm like, this is a large public health thing. I look at mold toxins in coffee. I just posted three days ago on Facebook a conversation I had in Guatemala with the former president of the Specialty Coffee Association when he describes when he was in the room when Japan rejected a thousand containers of moldy coffee because it was too moldy to legally drink in Japan or Europe. And I said, what happened to that coffee? And uh, Mark says, is Mark Inman is his name. He says, oh, uh, Dave, they sent it to the U.S. and we drank it. And I'm like, okay, I'm not making up the mold toxin problem. It's I have, There's 1,200 studies about this on the website. I filmed a documentary about mold in houses that I, I funded myself that was hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I flew around. I interviewed a dozen experts about this. One in four people have genes where if you walk into a water-damaged building, you work there, you live there, you're going to get pretty much permanently sick and weak. And the rest of us, we get damaged, but we don't get the same level of just like I'm zombified right now. So I have the genes. So I get zombified when I'm in a moldy building. Like I get inflammation. I get pimples a couple of days later. But I feel really, really awful, like hungover all the time. I learned how to reverse that. Before, I just felt hungover all the time. So the fact that most people have no idea that it's this big of an issue means this deserves a spotlight. 
So I made What's them... a cure after you're in... I mean, almost every house, uh, like on the East Coast, has been yeah. hit by hurricanes all the time. Almost every house has, has kind of water damage somehow. It's it's really profound. Uh, one of the guys we filmed was, was up here in New York State. Um, I think he was on the New Jersey side. He was a chiropractor, and his basement had been flooded by the hurricane, and it just decimated his health. And he's like, I, I didn't know what happened. And he hadn't fully fixed the water damage in his basement. And one of the producers, Kiki, walked into the basement and just got so sick. Like she didn't realize she was one of the one in four. And she realized during that filming and actually said, this explains so much in my life. Now I get it. Since the, the movie's come out, uh, Daniel Vitalis, uh, who runs a company called Sir Thrival, is one of the sort of paleo-like, you know, move wild, eat wild kind of guys. And he's like, oh, my God, I had mold in my house, and I missed this one. How did I miss this? Sarah Godfrey, the hormone expert, I have mold in my house. Like, I just didn't know. Even my own medical director, uh, Mark, who runs the Bulletproof Coaching Programs, like, I had no clue. I had a retail operation. So this is these are people who ought to know better. So what's, what's the cure? Like, even if you try to fix it, the, it's, the damage is done. Like, it's, well, it's there forever. It depends on what you've got, but the first thing you do is you test your house. So mm-hmm. if you've had water damage and you're just living in there, especially if someone in the house isn't doing as well as you, different people respond genetically and in different ways. So just because you don't feel bad and someone else does, they're not crazy. There's something happening. It's just it happens to different people differently. So what you do is you test the air. I recommend a company called My Ermi, E-R-M-I. I've been supporting that company because they let you order your own uh, your own assessment at home. But the best thing you can do that costs a little bit more is to call a local mold inspection company. They'll come, they'll test your air, and they'll tell you if you've got a problem. If you do, if you have water damage, you probably have a problem. Then what you do depending on what the species is, you rip out the part of the house that had water damage, like with saws and all. And you don't do it yourself, especially if you're getting sick. You put in special ventilation. I've had this happen in my own houses. And what they do there is they come in and sometimes in astronaut suits when they see what's growing there. And they're like, I'm not breathing that crap. Hmm. And they cut it out. They haul it away. They scrub the air. They put it back. What I do now, though, is I spray my house every quarter with something called homebiotic. And I've worked for two and a half years on making this stuff. It's a mixture of bacteria that competes with toxic mold so that instead of having a sterile house, you get water. Water water comes in. There's always mold spores floating around. And inside your drywall is paper. And the mold's like, oh, I can grow on paper. But it it's not a natural environment. There isn't any competition. So it just explodes. And you, you can't see it on the paint side of the drywall, but you open it up. And I do this in the movie. And it's all black and crumbly back there. So... What I do is I inoculate my house with bacteria so that it's more like a natural soil environment. So let's say you're exposed to the toxins though. You walk into someone else's house and mm-hmm. now you leave and you're starting to feel that tired feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, what, what's in the bulletproof diet? Like what can I eat? Well, fat is one of the things that gives you more energy and fat when you're eating things like butter and coconut oil and avocados and even animal fat from grass fed animals, it increases bile turnover, which is one of the ways your body gets rid of these toxins. And you, avocado mm-hmm. you mentioned in the, in the bulletproof cookbook as like the kind of best source is that like why is that avocados i love avocados by the way so i'm really happy about this finally a diet that recommends my favorite food okay you're you're golden so you can actually transfuse that stuff so i've had half my blood replaced with guacamole and you're totally good to go all right good what Uh, mom that's my blood type now is guacamole (laughs) what you do is uh you look at what's in by the way when you said that i was thinking oh is that true i'm gonna do it like (laughs) but then i realized it was a joke it was the 
The fat in avocado is monounsaturated, which is really good for you. And most people I find lack quality saturated fats. You need undamaged fats. So you go to a restaurant here in town, the odds are that they're using canola oil, corn oil, vegetable oil, and they look at the flashpoint, but they don't look at whether the oils are actually damaged by the solvents they use or by just continuously using it for, for cooking over and over. So I tend to not eat restaurant oils. But what you can all, almost always get is avocados. The oil in that is undamaged, and it's mostly monounsaturated with a relatively low amount of polyunsaturates. Most Americans eat tons of polyunsaturated fats, and these cause inflammation. Your body wasn't wired to use that many polyunsaturated fats. And we are made out of saturated fat. The only fat that you can synthesize on board in your meat is palmitic acid, which is, funny enough, a fully saturated fat. And you have these crazy anti-fat people saying like, oh, you know, saturated fat, that's bad for you. I'm like, why did my body evolve to make its own saturated fat? Why are my hormones all based on saturated fats? Like, how is this even possible? Well, it's because this idea of eating no saturated fat just doesn't work. It actually makes you sick. Mm. So, so, so what are, so what are other, like, I'm assuming bacon, like the edges of bacon is, are no good for me, but yeah, that's no. my, also my favorite, but well, here's bacon is one of those things where I use it in recipes in Bulletproof, the cookbook. And I have to plug that at least once because it just came out and it's, yeah, yeah it's no, been, no, we're, we're going to yeah, keep it, talking about it. it, it so. It's been very well received, but I was actually concerned because I use pork in some of these things and I use bacon and pigs are like humans in that. Humans and pigs are two of the, the few animals that use our kidneys to get rid of toxins, including these mycotoxins I keep talking about. So if you're a pig or a human, it takes you about 35 days to excrete the mold toxin that comes in your cup of coffee. If you're a rat and you use your liver to excrete these, it takes you one or two days. Mm. So we suck at eliminating toxins. That means if you're taking industrial meat pigs – and you're feeding them low-quality grain because you know you're going to kill them anyway. Who cares about the fact that the toxins in low-quality feed accumulate in the fat of the pig? Then you have problems. And that's why when you do bacon, there's two things. One, it's got to be from a healthy animal. Farmer's markets are good, organic, like quality bacon matters. You spend a little better, a little more. Don't buy the generic bacon. It's just not a good idea. And besides, the animal's been like treated terribly, and it's going to have cortisol in the tissues. It's it's just not a good idea for all kinds of reasons. Is it true that if the, the cortisol, meaning they had stress when they were dying and, and living and so on, is it true that you kind of eat the stress? Of... It's absolutely true. Okay. Yeah, you get the hormones that were in the animal. And when you talk to like artisan meat people, they know that. And they know that the quality of, of the death of the animal is part of what makes good quality meat. And you look at some of the industrial farming practices uh, for meat, and it's abhorrent. Like, you should never treat an animal that way, much less one you're going to eat. Mm -hmm. So I've gone out to the slaughterhouses where I live on, on an organic farm. Uh, I'm not raising my own meat yet, but I've gone out to, like, slaughter animals, and I've, like, gone to where it happens. And, you know, they pay attention to it because the small processors, they know it, at least most of them do. Some of them just, just don't care. You know, they walk up and kill an animal in front of another animal. Animals know when, when something like me dies, you should get the hell out of there. And we're kind of, we're wired the same way. <laughs> That's all animals are. It's a survival thing for the species. So you don't kill animals in front of other animals unless, well, you just don't care. And then you do it, but then you get that burst of stress hormones. It even flavors the meat, but we do absorb hormones from animals in very meaningful ways. But back to the pig thing. So if you're going to do bacon, get it from a quality animal and then 
the next thing you do is you don't burn it. So a lot of people have put the pan, you know, put the stove on eight or nine, get it all hot and sizzling and kind of crisp it up. It spits and burns you. It's smoking. Okay. You just took these incredibly beneficial fats that are in quality bacon and you burn the crap out of them. So now they've become inflammatory. So what you want to do on your bacon is you want to put the put the stove on like a three or four. It's going to take you three times as long to cook the bacon. And you want to sort of sweat the bacon. So you get you render the fat from it. It sizzles a little bit, but you don't want to have black stuff on the bottom of the pan. And when you do that, you're getting these just delicious fat. The bacon fat will taste better when you cook your eggs in it anyway. And the bacon, you don't want it to be super crispy because you can damage the proteins to the point it becomes inflammatory. So gently cooked bacon, you can bake it too from quality animals is an amazing health food and you'll get a food high from it. It is so good. But if you were to say do the opposite and just buy the cheap bacon and fry the crap out of it, you should expect to feel a, maybe just a little bit less movement in your joints, a little bit more inflammation, just a little bit groggy the next day. That's a big I, hangover. I believe you, but you did just wound bacon for me. So I'm going to have to try it <laughs> your way and see if that, you know, the Jim Gaffigan joke, like bake, the sound of bacon sizzling is like the sound of God clapping his hands. Like, <laughs> so you, you, know, you can sizzle it. It just doesn't need to be like a heavy sizzle, right? Right. But okay, so, so let's get to the Bulletproof Cookbook. Like obviously the diet you explain, you know, how people should eat, what people should eat, what's, you know, what to expect from the diet. What are some of the recipes you recommend? What's breakfast, lunch, dinner? Well, for the... And also, what's mm -hmm. intermittent fasting? Because you talk about that in the cookbook. All right. Well, the typical breakfast, if you're doing like the full Bulletproof program, is well, you want to save time and you want to have no thoughts about food until after lunch. So that's Bulletproof coffee. And you can do it with... Because you have protein. enough calories in there, too, that you're going to yeah. feel full you know, until past right. lunch. I've noticed that with myself. I would, I would take Bulletproof coffee, let's say it's 6, 7 in the morning. I wouldn't feel hungry until like 2 p.m., say. It, now, isn't that cool? <laughs> it is, although the mind wants to eat. Like <clears throat> at noon, I, I'm like, oh, should I have spaghetti? <laughs> like I feel <laughs> like I should be eating something, but I'm like full still. So I have to like tell my mind, okay, I'm full. I don't need to eat yet. Eating becomes conscious instead of reflexive when it's not driven by cravings and hunger all the time. So then you're like, I'm going to decide what to eat for lunch. And if all there is is stuff that I really don't want to be eating, now I have the willpower to just wait until there's something good because I'm not – I don't feel like I'm going to have an energy crash. And what happens there – so the ideal breakfast is bulletproof coffee. You can add the upgraded collagen protein if you're the type of metabolism that requires protein in the morning. A lot of women, a lot of people over 40 or if you're overweight – substantially, you have, you have leptin resistance. So you add protein in the morning. You can also eat a couple eggs with it if you want. And there's various recipes for things like frittata in the, in the Bulletproof cookbook. But really, for the average person, when they do this Bulletproof coffee thing, we talked about ketones earlier. When your ketones come up to a level called 0 0.5, it's very mild ketosis, and you can do that just with brain octane oil. What happens next is two hormones change. One is called ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone. When ghrelin is is inadequate, or I say when you have too much ghrelin, you're going to then just be hungry all the time. And you're going to want to eat, and that voice in your head is going to perk up and be like, mm. eat that, eat that, eat that. And you're going to have to be like, no, 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 until you give in. So when you just completely take over that ghrelin hormone using the power of ketones, you're like, oh, hunger just went away. And the other hormone is called CCK. And uh, it's actually branded by Calvin Klein. Not really. But what... I believed you for a second. I believe everything you say. <laughs> but it is called CCK. And 
what CCK does is it makes you feel full. So one is I'm hungry, the other is I'm full. And both of those are changed when you get very small amounts of ketones circulating in the system, which is why if you go on a three or four day fast, you suddenly lose your hunger. And which is why if you drink bulletproof coffee with enough brain octane in it, you suddenly lose your hunger. Well, is there a downside to this ketosis or having too many ketones? Like what's obviously there's got to be good and bad in everything. So what's the what's the potential danger of this ketosis or having too many ketones? If you ask uh, a doctor who's not familiar with ketosis as a, a normal state, they'll be like, oh, my goodness, that happens in diabetics when their kidneys are going to fail. It's super dangerous, which is complete BS. Mm -hmm. And actually, it's not. It does happen in diabetics in a weird metabolic state. But that is ketoacidosis is very different than the type of metabolic ketosis, which is a very normal state for us. Some people can be in ketosis for years and they feel amazing. Like it, it changes things for them. They just never want to eat a carb again. I have found that more people benefit from a cyclical approach like I recommend in the Bulletproof Diet. And this is one of the first things that, that first books that I've been able to find anyway that even talks about the idea that, well, you should go out on a very regular basis. And I recommend once or twice a week just dipping out of ketosis, having enough carbs one day a week to say, all right, I'm out. And the reason you do that is that your body requires carbohydrates in order to make things like mucus, tears, and like mucus is actually useful inside the body. It's there for a reason. As well as parts of your immune system are based on long-chain polysaccharides that coat your cells. So if you are in a long-term ketosis diet and you do not create enough sugar out of protein, you can run into the problems I did when I was working on uh, the development of the Bulletproof Diet. I did three months of almost no carbohydrates, like one serving of broccoli a day. Like I'm going to eat like an Eskimo. <laughs> totally going to do like lots of fat and uh, some meat and just see what happens. And what happened was I didn't have – I had dry eyes. I didn't have like enough mucus for my sinuses and I gave myself leaky gut because I couldn't make the, the mucus that lines your stomach to protect it from stomach acid. So I actually got a few food allergies from that. But – and the counterpoint is there are guys like uh, my friend Jemmy Moore who just has been in ketosis for so long and it completely changed his life and he, he didn't come out of it. Mm. And I've interviewed professional athletes on, on Bulletproof Radio who go in ketosis and stay there. So the thing is you got to figure it out. But for most people to make their adrenals function really well, occasionally dipping out of it. And for you it might be every two weeks. But every now and then you should have some carbs because your body will use them. I need them. Pancakes. I can't. There's, there's nothing wrong with a good pancake when you make it right. I would say – cut out the gluten from it and you can make really good pancakes these mm. days. But there's an argument that says you feel better when you get carbs, but if you eat carbs all the time, especially higher amounts of them, you're probably not going to like your life. If you have 50 or 100 grams a day, you'll probably like how you feel the most. And that's what I generally recommend for people who are at the weight they want in the Bulletproof Diet. So breakfast, Bulletproof coffee, yeah. and maybe some eggs yeah, or whatever. You could have avocados. You could have smoked salmon. You, know, you could have steak and vegetables if you want. Mm. But along those lines. And then, okay, lunch. Okay, lunch, and this is kind of a boring template, except it tastes amazing when you have all these variations of it. But the prototypical bulletproof meal is a plate covered in vegetables, which makes this officially a plant-based diet. Shocking, hmm. right? That's because vegetables have almost no energy in them. And if you're expecting to feel but, good on vegetables. But, by the way, it's funny because I just also interviewed Russell Simmons, who wrote this book, The Happy Vegan, mm -hmm. um, you know, in addition to being <laughs> Russell Simmons. Right. And uh, so he's he listed all the people who have been switching to plant-based diets. And, you know, of course, there's Rich Roll, who's been on my podcast, plant-based diets. So oh, yeah. it seems like this is a direction a lot of people are going, and they're all incredibly healthy people. Well... 
Have you asked Rich Roll around about like muscle pain and the stuff he writes about there? No. So I was a raw vegan for a while. Mm -hmm. Like I'm willing to try any diet and I'm, for almost a year. Like being a raw vegan requires two hours a day of food prep. Like I could go in there and make raw desserts and all this. I bought special bowls to have a big enough salad. And there's some things that happen when you go to an only plant-based diet, like a vegan diet. Any of the functional medicine guys that – actually, that's not true. I have one functional medicine guy who's a vegan that, that I work with. But the rest of the functional medicine guys – and the anti-aging guys I've worked with for 10 years as president and chairman of the Silicon Valley Health Institute, they all say the same thing. My patients who come in who are vegan, especially over time, they, they're they broken. Like, mm. they're not working well. And you get muscle pain. You get sore teeth. I actually shattered a tooth when I was a raw vegan, which this is documented. And you were only a raw vegan for th how long? I was a raw vegan for, I want to say, about... I mean, I, I'm kind of fishing here. It was about six months, and then I actually added small amounts of raw meat back into it, mm -hmm. like carpaccio and tuna, because I was like, something's wrong. Like, I've, you feel amazing for the first three months, and it's because when you eat only plant oils, which are the inflammatory omega-6 oils, what happens is you upregulate your metabolism for a little while. So... After about three months, you're like, wow, I feel great. I lost some weight. I have this clarity. It's really good. Well, what you did is you stopped eating all the crap and industrial meat, which was making you feel awful, and you started cleaning it out of your system. And, okay, that was a good move. You shouldn't eat industrial meat, and I don't eat industrial meat. What happens next? Well, after you run out of this energy and you've now recomposed your cell membranes using these omega-6 oils, now you're making free radicals all the time. And you're starting to affect your hormone levels because you're not going to be able to make testosterone. You didn't have those egg yolks anymore, uh -oh. right? So you're going to see some changes in your hormones. And like I developed um, a thyroid problems when I was on the diet. So it took me a while to recover from being raw vegan. And there's lots of people on the Bulletproof Diet who are former raw vegans who are like, okay, I didn't realize the harm I was doing, but I wanted to be kind to the earth. I wanted to be kind to animals. I do too. Like I went to Tibet. And that was when I stopped being a raw vegan. I'm like, I'm not eating raw yak that's been hanging, like swinging in the wind up here. Like this is just a recipe for disaster. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll go back to, to cooked foods and uh, to eating meat, which I'd already started eating raw meat before I went out to Asia. And I'm like, all right, I, I feel better when I'm on this diet. But I asked a, a monk in, uh, in Lhasa. They had a yak skin hanging on their prayer pole. I'm like, you guys are like the vegetarian vegan, like kill nothing. Like don't walk on the grass. You might step on a bug, people. And you have a dead animal hanging from your thing. Like what's up? And he laughed at me. He goes, Dave, one death feeds everyone. Hmm. Right? He said, like, like, we need meat to live. So that's what we do. But that was the most efficient way we could do it. And I went back home, and as I was developing Bulletproof Coffee, I realized, let me figure out the, the deaths per year that come from eating the Bulletproof Diet. And it comes down to the type of meat that you choose. But if you're eating beef, which is delicious, well, if it's a grass-fed cow, the entire number of animals killed in the entire supply chain for that, that beef, assuming it's local grass-fed beef, 0.7 animals a year if you eat a pound of beef a day, which is quite a lot of beef, more than you need. And and c contrast that to, let's say, the corn-fed, you know, traditional manufacturing of, of cows. Well, that is going to be bad because, well, you had to do uh, destruction of habitat in order to make the corn. And then in order to grow corn, which, by the way, is a fully vegan plant-based food. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just like all the other ones, what you did is you displaced animals. And then you go through and you, uh, assuming that you didn't spray it with stuff so no animals can even live there, uh, what you end up doing is you leave a trail of dead turtles, bunnies, 
snakes, grasshoppers, ladybugs, and all sorts of other things that were killed by the fact that you now have mono crops growing and you now have tractors going through and kind of decimating things. So if you look at field kills, if you're going to eat lentils, <laughs> you're going to eat rice, you're killing way more animals than I'm killing because unless the cow that I ate stepped on a frog and killed it, it didn't kill anything. It's really funny. There's so many – it's so complicated because you see one thing, like a, a book about being a vegan, and it's all about, you know, this many billions of cows are killed every year and this bi many billions of fish are killed every year. It's just – it feels like one of those things where it's all statistics. Like there's so many things to process who is right, what is right. Like I, I agree with your numbers, but I also agree when I talk to Russell Simmons, I, Simmons, I agree with his numbers. Like there's – basically everybody's dying and humans are getting fat. So, well, we're going to die anyway. Uh, it's going to happen. And I would like that to be dying in peak physical condition at a time of my choosing. And that means that I'm going to choose the foods that are most supportive for my own biology. And they'll be slightly different than the ones that are most supportive for yours. But I can tell you the algorithm to find the ones. That's what the Bulletproof Diet is. Like these foods are generally really good for 99% of people because they have lots of nutrients and they have lots of energy in them. These foods are suspect because for large swaths of the population, they have problems. And if you don't know which suspects are guilty for you, then you, you never know why you feel the way you feel. And then these foods down here, these are kryptonite foods. And you get the roadmap for free. It's on the Bulletproof Exec. It's called the Bulletproof Diet Roadmap. And it's one page you print on your fridge. It's not that hard. So you just go through and eliminate the suspects, your suspects. Like, okay, I'm cool. Like, you might eat red peppers every day and feel amazing, and I don't. Like, does that mean one of us is better than the other? No, it just means, like, we evolved in different circumstances in multiple generations ago, whatever. But you go through all this stuff, though, and, and you look at all of history, how many vegan societies there have been. No, you look at my first book, The Better Baby Book, I looked at fertility, and oh, my God, like, you want to... <laughs> You want to really screw up the next generation because what your mom and even your grandmother ate has a profound effect on your genetic expression. So how strong you are and how strong I am goes back two generations. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to do that, the you know, vegan pregnancy thing, it's dangerous, mm -hmm. like flat out dangerous. And you are going to raise children who have less opportunities than kids who had adequate fat in their mom, whose breast milk had enough medium chain triglyceride oil in it. Like, the science is very clear on this. There were 1,300 references that went into my first book. My wife was infertile when I met her. She's a physician from uh, the Karolinska Institute in Sweden. And we restored her fertility using food. I developed the meals and the diet. And we had two kids at 39 and 42 without you know, IVF or any of that kind of stuff. And today she's uh, working with clients on restoring their fertility using the same techniques. And here's the thing. No matter how much soy, how much flax, which has way more estrogen than soy, by the way, or no matter how much polyunsaturated oils or kale you eat, you are simply not going to run at optimal levels for a human. Like, it, it just doesn't work like that. There are some people who thrive on a vegetarian diet, but they're getting cheese and butter. So right? so let, let's say I'm in New York City where most people don't cook in – in their their kitchens are too small or whatever. Right. What what can I do in restaurants to eat like the right kind of meat and read? You know, do I focus on fish? Do I what do I do? Pretty much say I want a plate covered in vegetables, mm -hmm. and try not to like burn them. They have this new like charred Brussels sprouts thing. Like burned vegetables aren't that good for you. You want like normally cooked ones. Mm -hmm. So steamed, sautéed, hopefully in butter, maybe even in olive oil, which isn't great, but it's good enough. So lots of vegetables. If you're doing carbs, a little bit of rice. And then go for the fish. 
And ideally, you want wild-caught fish. It's getting harder to find, so you might even need to get farmed fish, which is probably still better than, say, farmed chicken, which is not a health food. It's a convenience food that raises your insulin like chicken's not on the bulletproof diet. And then how do I how do I know to trust them? Like, like even if they have the organic label on it, or you know, it might mean many things. Like there's a wide spectrum of what organic means, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. regulatory laws. Organic doesn't mean much when it comes to right. meat. It means that the cows weren't fed antibiotics, which is meaningful. But if you take organic corn and organic soy, which can have organic stuff growing on it, like those are not optimal foods for for cattle. Cattle mm. should be eating mostly grass. Mm. And when you get that going on, like, oh, it's organic. It's good for me. You're like, no, you still have the wrong fatty acid ratio. This is still going to be inflammatory for you. And then maybe it was aged for a long time, so something else grows on it. That's why you age beef. So essentially uh, uh, bacteria and fungus, but mostly fungus, grows on the outside. Then they trim that off, and you eat the rest of it, which has the roots of the fungus in it, which can cause inflammation. Is this documented? Yes, it's documented in lots of studies. We just don't pay attention to it. So now you've got dry-aged organic beef. Like, ooh, I'm very fancy. Then they take it and they cook it at 1,200 degrees <laughs> and you know, sear the outside of it really well. What does charred meat do for you? There's lots of research about cancer and charred meat. So what you want is gently cooked steak. Tell them don't char. Don't blacken the steak, right, if you're going to have the steak. Don't blacken the fish. I just want it like cooked mildly. That's okay. Mm-hmm. So what you end up with is a plate of vegetables with a hunk of protein that's not super big on it. Maybe some rice, and if lentils are okay with you, they actually work for you, then have some lentils instead if that's what you like. I find a lot of people do better without the lentils. So so, so mm-hmm. Bulletproof Cookbook, dinner, what's your favorite dishes? And I think rack of lamb is one of my favorites. Rack of lamb. Yeah, and it, it's got that nice layer of fat on the outside of it, and it just it, – it's amazing. So I, I'm not sure I can tell you specifically the my favorite lamb recipe in the book, but it's, it's actually not rack in, in the book. My favorite one is actually the stew. There's a, a lamb chili that you can make that is ridiculous. And one of the crowning achievements for me is I grew up in New Mexico. We eat red chili and green chili, and, like, it's delicious, but – I didn't know this, but one of the reasons that I get joint pain is I eat those things. So I love the spice, but when I eat it, I pay the price because it makes it essentially makes my tissues um, um, respond from an immune perspective. And this is from a chemical called electin. One in five people have this. This is from the nightshade family. So I made a chili recipe that looks like chili and tastes like chili but doesn't actually have nightshades in it. And it's called the no chili chili recipe. And it, like, you eat it, you're like, oh, my God, I'm eating this stuff. And that's the kind of thing where, like, what could we change in a meal in order to make it more satisfying, to make it so you're going to get a food high and so you're unlikely to have these problems? And if you're someone who has no issues with these whatsoever, and, like, throw some jalapenos in there, that's totally good. But the idea here is the purest foods you can cook where you don't damage the oils, you don't burn the food, and you choose ingredients that just make you go, oh, my God, I want to feel like this all the time. And that was my goal is to always have a food high after every meal. And every recipe in there, all 125 of them, is based on that perspective. What do you mean by a food high? Most people have at least once or twice experienced this time where you, you go to a restaurant or you cook something at home and you're like, I just have this kind of like, I'm glowing with energy. Like I feel so amazing. As opposed to after feeling that. like bloated and tired. Yeah, or you know, a little drunk, or I had some coffee after, or whatever. But it, it's a different feeling, and you're like, you know, I have all this energy. I could do anything right now. And a good meal should make you feel that way every time because you got enough energy into the body, and you didn't have the things that slow you down. So, Dave, if I wanted to read other books other than yours, like what books have inspired you in terms of like food and biohacking and hacking yourself? Like what what books have uh, could readers read to learn more? 
One of the things that was most inspirational going back quite a while is the Weston A. Price Foundation. And there's a, a couple uh, a couple of researchers from quite a long time ago who were looking at what happens in old societies when they switch over to Western diets. It's called nutrition and physical degeneration. And this was some of the original inspiration for my work around fertility, which of course is the diet that I also ate that eventually evolved into the, the Bulletproof Diet. And I mean, these guys knew what to do. They talk about how, for instance, uh, fish eggs, like salmon eggs, which are not really that good. Ikura nigiri is what you'd order at a sushi mm -hmm. place. They're incredibly good for you. But they used to like prize, uh, save these things like little prizes, and they'd dry them and bring them inland, even during times of war, so that pregnant women could eat these eggs. So you get these little hints like this, like, why did they pay attention to this? Why did they do that? What did fat do? And you realize that the most precious substance in in traditional societies is always the fat. And so that really helped me to understand I don't need to be afraid of fat. I'm going to take the plunge. I'm going to to just drink Bulletproof coffee at stupid amounts and see what happens. And what happened was like I feel better. I'm eating more calories than makes any sense. And I still actually lost a little bit of weight when I was trying to gain weight on that. So it's that was probably the most effective, most important one to read. It is the opposite of that book called The China Study, which has been widely discredited at this point, but it's still routinely cited by vegans. And Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, I think it came up in one of my podcasts, it, The China Study. It, it is. Uh, Denise Menger, Menger, Menger uh, has completely written just an amazing look at it. But when you look at the data, the data doesn't say what he says it says. And the logical chain in the book doesn't make sense. He says, for instance, one animal food, casein, which I tell you not to eat, this is protein in milk. It causes cancer, in, especially liver cancer in animals, which is actually true, so don't eat it. He goes, and therefore, all animal foods cause cancer, which would be a logical fallacy. Like, it, it doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. So it's those kinds of things that, that drive me nuts because, like you said, you can read anything out there. But what you can also do is you can say, how do I feel today? And you can write it down and you can say, what did I eat today? How did I sleep? And you're like, wait a minute. There's a correlation here. There's causation. And you can control how you feel, how you think. And so much in your life. And when you get your energy levels up from eating enough calories, eating the right kinds of calories, that gives you energy to then like, okay, now I want to meditate. Now I want to like tackle that personal growth challenge that I just didn't have enough energy to face before. You know, now I want to start a new company. Now I want to do something meaningful. But if you're tired all the time because you're eating kale salads and expecting that to be a source of calories and fuel for you, you're just not going to do what you're capable of doing. So what, what's some other books? I'm working on another book now around, uh, well, if this is how we used to exercise, how do you exercise when you want to use the minimum possible amount of time? And uh, in fact, right now I have a large facility at home where I'm doing things that are entirely unnatural and it's called Bulletproof Labs. But like what, what are you doing that's unnatural? One of the things I'm doing now is I'm exercising my cell membranes. So there's a jet fighter cockpit there and you sit in this thing and you turn it on and it takes you up to an altitude of 24,000 feet. So it literally pumps air out. So you're at negative pressure and then it puts you back to sea level in one or two seconds. So I'm literally playing every cell in my body like an accordion, just like make big, small, big, I'm afraid small. of it. Like is that, are you sure that's healthy for you? <laughs> my stem cells seem to really love it. My nitric oxide production is off the charts. How does it make, how much does it cost to get a jet, jet fighter cockpit in my house. It's more than $100,000. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So. But I could have bought a Tesla. Right. Okay. <laughs> but I didn't because I actually think this is way more important. You know, uh -huh. I, I drive a pickup truck. Uh -huh. Right. So then again, I live on a farm. That's where you're supposed to drive. But like, like this is the sort of thing where I don't think it's fair 
that technology like this, which is profound, is like like hidden. The inventors of these kinds of things, and I have dozens of things like this at, at the labs, and I'm I'm writing about this because by exploring the edges of what our bodies are capable of and realizing that there's these really strong effects, you can send a signal into your body that's much stronger than mother nature normally would. I go into my cryotherapy chamber at home. It's got liquid nitrogen. The air is 260 degrees below zero. And I stand in there for three minutes. Nowhere on earth is that cold. But my body's like, oh my God, there's an ice age right now. So I'm tricking the body into thinking there's an ice age, which turns off inflammation, turns on brown fat, the stuff that burns calories for energy. And just gives you this amazing clarity and energy. Wait, if, can't you die though? Like standing in 260 degrees below zero? Well, it, I mean, you can die if you drink too much water. So it's a question of dose, right? So what you do is you do three minutes of that. And your body can handle three minutes of that? Yeah, it turns out three minutes of cold water is way more painful than three minutes of cold air because air doesn't conduct the temperature very well. So just the very outer layer of your skin gets, oh my God, we're freezing. So it upregulates your whole metabolism. And for all day, and you burn hundreds of calories after you're exposed to this. And oh my you're, gosh. You, like it turns on healing your collagen, your the skin connective tissue, it remodels itself in response to this cold signal. Dude, three minutes. So yes, I have one of those at home, and it it's crazy. But this is part of the research for the next book. Like I'm I'm going big on this thing because it's not cool that you can't get access to this right now. For I mean, there should be like gyms with uh, all these special things in it. Give me time. All right. Well, Dave Asprey, the Bulletproof Cookbook uh, just came out. Uh, I'm going to try all the recipes, I, I promise, because I, I, I believe it. And uh, uh, the Bulletproof Diet, of course, a year ago. Uh, and now, now I can't wait for the exercise stuff. So you'll come back on when, when that book's out. I'm, I'm really interested. You can count on it. So thanks for coming on the podcast. It was awesome to be here, especially live, and to see how you actually make the magic. So it's an honor to be here. Excellent. Thanks. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.